0: Thank you all. Shall we pray together? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for another day of life. We want to turn it back to you, God. We ask that you would open our hearts. May they be fertile ground for the soil, for the seed of truth. Lord, we ask that you'd plant something inside of us that would grow and produce fruit. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, hello, everybody. It is a joy to be here at Senior Chapel and to finally be one of those seniors I keep seeing. <laughs> Without being a senior citizen. I'm just a senior. Hallelujah. Feels great. It, it, incidentally, I ran into Dr. Daryl Smith yesterday, who is a professor. I think he's retired now, isn't he? Just retired. And yeah, no, he is actually. The guy's riding his bike on the road though, and I passed him. I pulled up next to him. I'm like, that's Daryl Smith right there, riding a brand new bike. And uh, we started chatting. And he said, hey, Tom, you know, congratulations on finishing seminary. He said, you're looking good, looking fast on the bike. I said, man, I'm not as fast as I used to be. And I said, uh, you know, my seminary journey's been one of give and take. Asbury takes all my money, and they give me 15 pounds. <laughs> 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 uh, that's not really true, though. I think I only gained 10. And had a great scholarship, praise the Lord. <laughs> so getting out of here cheaper than I could have been, but still getting out nonetheless, and thankful for that. Um, let's get to the point. I'm an Episcopal priest, as uh, Dr. Freimeyer said, which means I'm not used to preaching more than 12 minutes. You're welcome. So, <laughs> people love that. It doesn't have to be good as long as it's short. Uh, so, I will be short. I, I got one point, and and this is it. I want to I want to encourage you this morning. I guess it's this afternoon now, by five minutes, to make much of Jesus. That that's just what I want to tell you. I, I just want it. I want to exhort you to make much of Jesus. I mean, we're we're in the people-building business. I hope that's why you're here. I mean, I'm guessing you're here at Asbury Seminary. That's why I came, because I knew God was calling me to be in the people-building business. I mean, I, whether you're called to be a full-time pastor, whether you're called to be a, a, a non-vocational pastor, whether you're a lay leader that's going to disciple people, whether you're working for an interdenominational organization or a counselor, listen, you're here because you're in the people building business. And, and I want to just think about that for a minute and ask ourselves, what's the secret sauce to people building? How do you do it? I mean, I can tell you, I've, I've been a pastor for a year, and our church has grown. It's grown a lot. And I find myself getting up in the morning and thinking about church building, how do I get my church to get bigger today? How do I get more people in my door? I mean, anybody concerned with that as well? Yeah, yeah. And, and sometimes the Holy Spirit reminds me, look, man, you're not in the church growing business. You're in the people growing business. Why don't you focus on discipling the people that I've sent to you? Focus on growing them and leave the numbers to me. Well, how do we do it? How do we do it? What's the secret sauce? for growing people. And and I just want to put forward for you that I think the secret sauce of growing people is making much of Jesus. I, I think it's just focusing on the person and the work of Jesus Christ who has done for us what we can't do for ourselves, what we shouldn't have done for ourselves, what he's done as us, for us, with us, making much of Jesus. I mean, how do you get your church to stop acting like idiots? I don't have a church like that. Some of you might. do 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 you write a book on how not to be an idiot? No, I think that's helpful, but I think what's most helpful is you make much of Jesus. How do you get somebody to care about holiness? I mean, here we are at a Wesleyan seminary, which has a distinct history in the holiness tradition, and I love that. Well, how do you get somebody to care about it? Well, go back and read your own history. What was it that caused our, you know, John Wesley to begin to understand what it looked like to walk in holiness? It was encountering the Moravians and the assurance of Christ, faith in Christ that they had beyond themselves, not in themselves, but in the work of another, Jesus. His heart was strangely warmed by the book of Romans. Not, not even the book of Romans, but Martin Luther's commentary, his preface to the commentary on Romans. And that book is full of one thing, making much of Jesus. And and here, here's what I'll say to you. Uh, I, I think that as a church, collectively, not as Methodists, who, by the way, you're all just uh, heretic Episcopalians. <laughs> I want to let you know. You you lost your way, and you, you came from us, okay? So we'll just take you back and include you in these comments. Uh, I, I, I think we've just... We've lost our way, and, and, you know, preaching in the church becomes just a, a moralistic platitude, and oftentimes what we focus on is just doing better and trying harder and behavior modification and sin avoidance, and listen, all those things are good, but what I'm positing towards you this afternoon is that if you really want your church to make progress on sin avoidance and you really want your people to make progress on behavior modification, then stop talking primarily about behavior modification and turn their eyes off of themselves and put them on to the person and the work of Jesus. Just stay there. Come! On. Oh, we got some Pentecostals. Yeah. Look, there's, uh, Kevin Bartle is another Episcopal priest in the room. Look at him. He's freaked out right now. He's like, what in the world is happening in here? I know, they do this other places. I know. Literally, I digress. This is a true story. I'm not kidding you. I've been a pastor for 10, 12 months, and I, I had someone come into my office just a few weeks ago and asked me if I could talk to the people in church who continually shout amen during the sermons and have them stop because it's distracting. I was like, no, I'm going to let you do that, sweetheart. <laughs> I, 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 I'm... This is a true story. I had one of my key leaders, this person was on our leadership team, come up to me just a few months into the job and she literally asked me this. She said, hey, we got some new people in the church who are sort of singing kind of loud and raising their hands and stuff. She literally asked me if I could make an announcement at the beginning of church on Sunday morning and have them all sit in the back two rows. I'm like, yeah, you know, we'll put a blue star on their shoulder too. I mean, kidding me? They write books about this stuff. Go. <laughs> Watch the History Channel. This never works out well. Jeez. All right. Let's read the passage if you've got your scripture, Philippians chapter three. Look, let me set this up for you and help you understand what's going on. Philippians chapter three, Paul's got himself in a mess because he's dealing with an opponent, an opposition group, which, if you just backed up a few verses from what was just read so beautifully, he's dealing with this group of people, this faction of false teachers. Whom he's calling the circumcision faction, or the Judaizers, or the circumcision group, and these people are intent upon getting the entire church in Philippi to be completely wrapped up in introspective self-help. I mean, that's what they're doing—the siren song of the circumcision faction. Which, if you got your text, look—you'll see him in chapter three, verse two. Look what Paul says. He says, "Beware the dogs." You know a Jew means business when he starts calling somebody a dog. (laughs) Beware the evil workers. Look, beware of those who mutilate the flesh, for it is we who are the circumcision. These are choice words. He's addressing this opponent whose siren song is this, do better, try harder, work harder. And and it's all wrapped up in, in, in some sense, a misunderstanding of what the Jewish law was for, which was never meant for perfection, never meant for earning favor from God, never. It was meant to collect a community for God's sake and his holiness and his glory. It wasn't meant to earn what can't be earned. But in these people's minds, it had become something to champion. Just do better, try harder, do more, and God will love you more. And in the midst of that, Paul exhorts us to make much of Jesus. That's what he's saying in chapter 3. Listen, stop, get your eyes, and do it again. Get your eyes off yourself and and take them up, off, and away to the person and work of Jesus who has done for you what you can't do for yourself and who gives you what you could never earn. And you participate with him, but you don't earn it without him. All right, look with me in uh, chapter 3, verse 4. Paul's going to tout some accomplishments here, even though I have reason to, to be confident in the flesh, look, if anyone else has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more, and he gives us his laundry list of reasons why he should stand just with the circumcision group and say, look, I got it going on in and of myself, just be myopically focused on doing better, trying harder, doing more, verse 5, circumcised on the eighth day, a member of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee. These are all good things. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church, well, maybe not so much a good thing there. Look what he says about himself. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. I mean, this is not a guy who's just promoting some, you know, antinomian who cares lifestyle. Oh, just do what you want. God loves you. Yeah, that's not what he's saying at all. He's saying, look, I had it going on I was doing all the things that all of us should, in fact, do. But listen, none of them had made it into the category of earning me favor and acceptance from Yahweh. That comes through the person of Jesus. Let's make much of him. That's what Paul's about to tell us. It gets clear. Look in verse 7. Yet. Anybody taking uh, Dr. Miller or Dr. Russell's IBS classes? Yeah, it's a contrast here, right? See? I learned something. Thank you. Hallelujah. Yet, contrast, whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. Look at this. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And what Paul's doing is he's saying, come on, man. Yes, I've got a whole bucket of accomplishments here, but here's what I know I've got to do. If I'm going to grow and if your church is going to grow, you got to get people off of their introspective self-reflection, which always turns into disappointment, and, and take their eyes off and away to the person of Jesus. And here's what happens when you do that. Here's what happens when you do that. The holiness starts happening automatically. It does. It does. The, ho- the things that God's asking of us just start taking shape in our lives as we turn our heart of affection towards the person and the work of Jesus. It's weird how that happens. Let's keep reading here. Verse 12, look at this. Not that I've already obtained this or I've already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own. And look, there's there's a there's a connect, there's a connective here. Why? Because Christ Jesus is has made me his own. that's important, you don't want to miss it. Look what the motivation is for Paul's pressing on. Look what the motivation is for all of his doing, all of his righteous living, all of his obedience, all of his striving in holiness, which is good. What is it? It's the fact that already Jesus has called him to himself and done for him what he can't do for himself, that the things that God's doing in your life, the things that he's doing in the lives of everybody in your church and everyone you're discipling start with him and his affection for you and his affection for them. And you've got to turn somebody's eyes towards that. Or before long, we all make a case for ourselves that we haven't done what we should have done, that we've never been enough. And you know what? That's true. We've got a champion who is enough. I like you Pentecostals. Can I pay you just to come do that in my front row? I need... I need, you, I need you guys for like six weeks and then I'll advocate for a pay raise. See, everybody <laughs> likes me. I love what I'm doing here. I need more money. Look with me in verse 14. I'm almost done. Pizza time. See, told you. Episcopalians. Verse 14 of chapter 3. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God. Look, in Christ. Jesus. This is all about Christ. Verse 15, look, this is for you guys. Let those of us then who are mature be of the same mind. I mean, Paul's dealing with a false teacher here. He's dealing with a group of people who don't get it, who are saying Jesus plus, not Jesus, period. And Paul's appealing to his leadership, and everybody in here is in that category. You wouldn't be here if you're not. He's saying, hey, those of us who are mature, this is what we focus on. In unity, let's be of the same Mind. Let's make much of Jesus together. Let's have staff meetings about it. Let's purpose in our heart that if anybody's going to hear anything from us on Sunday morning, they're going to hear this that God loves you because of His goodness, not yours. Now, with that said, get after it. But get after it not to be loved, but in His love, because you are loved. There's a huge difference, right? Verse 15 let those of us then who are mature you have the same mind. Look at verse 16. Look how he ends this little section. Only let us hold fast to what we have attained. And that's the last thing I'll say to you. Just please consider, consider making your ministry a one song, one hit wonder of the gospel. I mean, consider this if you're a pastor. Like, this is something to consider. What What's the dominant message that comes out of my pulpit on Sunday morning? What is it? I mean, maybe just think about that. That, That's a great thought exercise. If someone were to come six weeks in a row and they had to describe what they're hearing from me, what would they be hearing? And ask yourself, is it the right thing? And, you know, the Holy Spirit's going to lead us differently, but I would just challenge you to consider this. Are they hearing on a regular enough basis to invade their heart in this way? Are they hearing the grace and love of the Lord Jesus Christ that's done for them what they can't do for themselves? And are you, as a pastor and leader, taking their eyes off of themselves and putting them on Jesus in such a way that they can actually accomplish the other things that you ask of them, those works of holiness, those works of grace? Ready for your beating, Dr. Freymeyer? All right, I got, a, I got a shameless illustration here. This, was, this is pretty awesome, and I didn't come up with it. Have you guys ever tried to balance a broom? Yeah? You, you can balance a broom on your hand, but here's how you do it. If you're going to balance a broom, you can't look down at your hand. Where do you look? To the head. The author and perfector of our face. See where I'm going with this? Look, watch, watch me try and balance my life if I'm introspectively focused on sin avoidance, doing better, and trying harder. Ready? It's really hard. But if, if you'll take my eyes and, and get them off of myself and move them to a Jesus who did for me what I could never do for myself, and just lift my gaze, make much of Jesus. Look what happens. And your life comes into balance. And look at my hand. It just moves around. As I look at Christ, it just moves around in a way that does what it should do. There's this, like, I would just call it almost unconscious holiness that starts to take place as I focus on the person and work of Christ. All right? All right, let's pray, and I'll get out of your way.